Jameson, it's time for dinner. Can you say grace? Okay, Dad. Rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Yay, God. Thanks, Jameson. Is that an appropriate dinner time, Grace? We're going to talk about that and praying coming up this week on the Human Conservation Podcast. The Human Conservation Podcast. With host Reverend Corby Willette. Restoring faith in humanity by exploring the paths of culture, history, nature, science, and spirituality. Promoting human conservation through human conversation. Welcome to the Human Conservation Podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Corby Willette. I hope everyone has had a blessed week and they are doing well today. This is episode three of our Foundation of Human Conservation series. We've covered a little bit about the Bible and miracles. And if you haven't had time, you should really consider going back and giving them a listen. Uh, This week, we're going to be discussing our best form of communication with God, and that is prayer. We talked a little bit in the first episode about how the Bible is a link to God, where generally we get our answers from him in the forms of our own interpretations of what we read and what he brings out to us through that reading. Prayer is just the opposite. Prayer is our questions and petitions that we bring to God, So kind of think of prayer like lightning and the Bible kind of like thunder. When talking about prayer, I guess the best place to begin is probably uh, by stating when, when Hollywood tends to depict prayer on TV or in the movies, it's almost always somebody that's on their knees at the foot of the bed or they're in a chapel or a church. Now, as a general rule of thumb, the rules for prayer are this, that there are no rules of prayer. Almost every person I've ever talked to struggles with prayer from time to time. Personally, I try to say my prayers every morning when I'm in the shower, and I'll thank God for another day, and I give praise, and I begin my petitions for others. But then I'll look down, and I'll see a matchbox car that my son was playing with the night before, or I see an empty shampoo bottle sitting at the ledge that probably should have been thrown away the day before, or the week before, depending upon how long it's been sitting there. Then that gives way to, oh, I got to go to the store and buy more shampoo. And then the frustrating thought that the shampoo that my daughter likes is 11 bucks a bottle. And then that makes me think about how expensive the price of beef has been lately, which makes me think of why black Angus is more money than regular beef. And before long, what started as a sincere morning prayer has become a journey into the different subspecies of cattle. So I find that trying to reserve a block of time in my day just to pray generally doesn't work out too well for me. So my prayers more resemble conversations with a buddy than like a psalm from the Bible. But there are plenty of people that are the exact opposite. And for them, prayer works best in a quiet, dark room with a block of time that they set aside, whether it's early in the morning before their family wakes up or late at night before they go to sleep, or it could be, you know, they take a block of time out of their work day and they go into a a broom closet and close the door to pray. And this can change all the time. Uh, There's no one perfect way to pray. There is only one requirement, and that is that you put your faith into it. That's right, the good F word. Just like when we talked about the Bible and we talked about miracles, faith is at the center of almost every element of spirituality. Prayer without faith is just talking, and this is where repetitious prayer can get a little bit tricky. Now, I can't speak about 
praying in very many other faiths. But please, if we're lucky enough to have some non-Christians listening to the podcast, feel free to send a message into the podcast and let me know if it's the same uh, in your faith. But in Christianity, the most common prayer uttered is the Our Father. And it varies slightly depending on the translation. Generally, it goes like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, the Our Father is big in both the Protestant and Catholic traditions alike. And it's in the Catholic tradition, it's commonly associated with the rosary. Now, repetitious prayer is something that's been argued over uh, for a very long time. A lot of the more modern, non-denominational Christians believe that repetitious prayer just falls on deaf ears. And they cite Bible verses 6 and 7 in the book of Matthew, which reads, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Empty phrases are the key words here. If you're just going to nonchalantly recite the Our Father as it was written in the Bible and then jump up and think that you said your prayers and you got a duty done and you're covered for the day, your prayer life probably needs some attention. But if you're reciting the Our Father like in preparation of your main prayer or to show reverence to the Lord, I don't think that that really falls under empty phrases. Catholics in particular get criticized for using rosary beads, claiming that they're participating in idolatry. But I, I think that's a bit much. Again, if you have sinned, and we all have, and you robotically say the rosary and you think to yourself, I'm good, you're probably not getting the point. But if you're using the rosary as a form of meditation and meditating on the Lord and bringing your soul into unison with God, then I think you're fine. You're in a good place. We could probably fill more than a few episodes on idolatry, uh, and perhaps we'll dive deeper in a later podcast, but I'm not going to go too far into, into idolatry now. Before I move on, though, there's one last point I want to make about the Our Father. And that is when it appears in the Bible, it's not really a dictation of a specific prayer that Jesus wants us to say. It's actually an example that he is giving to his disciples on how to pray. It appears in Matthew chapter 6. In verse 7, it reads, And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Verse 8 says, Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Not how you must pray. So let's go back to my son's dinnertime prayer that we heard at the beginning of the episode. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God. Is that a suitable prayer for the dinner table? I think if it's coming from a child... Uh, in the child innocence, it's probably quite pleasing to God. Now, if you're a grown man, it might be a little bit different. Going way back before I knew Christ, a friend had brought me on this retreat that was sponsored by the Catholic Church, and the, the retreat was called The Road to Emmaus. Uh, and it was a weekend-long event for high school-age students that included all kinds of fun activities, listening to testimonies and such. And at mealtime, when grace was said, it, it wasn't really said. 
it was a large crowd of people that would put their arms around each other and they'd start screaming, bless our friends, bless our food. Come, O Lord, and be with us. May our talk glow with peace. Bring our love to surround us. Friendship and peace, may it bloom and grow. Bloom and grow forever. Bless our, bless our friends, bless our, bless our food, bless our dear land forever. Now, I'm not going to win any awards for singing, um, but you get the point. Now, this this grace was, you know, coupled with people banging spoons on the tables and making a racket and all kinds of stuff. And looking back, I know there were a handful of people who felt that it wasn't serious uh, and they had cross looks as they looked at us. But I also believe God was looking down proud at us for the joyous prayer of thankfulness. You know, think about it. Those of us who have children, when you give them the gift that they have been wanting for their birthday, do you want them to get like 100% serious and keep a straight face and say, thanks, mom and dad, and then shake your hand? Or do you want to see the excitement in their eyes and have them dive on you and tell you how amazing you are as a parent because you came through with the, the gift that they've been dying for? Well, why would God be any different? Don't be afraid to make your praying a joyous occasion as well when it's appropriate, but be mindful of the situation. You know, you don't want a serious time of need for someone to become a comedy act and leave someone feeling like no one cares about their petition. But again, the rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God, works if you're talking about a child who understands what she is actually praying for, but it may not work for some guy who's just trying to be a goofball and make light of being thankful at mealtime. If you're praying out loud in front of a group of people, whether it's a church, campfire, revival, wedding, any other gathering, you should be praying with authority, meaning you have full faith in what you're praying for. A lot of people, when they pray in public, they feel the need for poetic, ancient-sounding language with these big words that are hard for people to understand. It's not about how intelligent you sound. It's about how heartfelt your petition to God is. Have you ever shaken somebody's hand that you just met for the first time and they offer you like that dead fish handshake? They just sort of throw their hand out there. There's no grip. There's no squeeze, nothing. And you walk away saying to yourself, wow. That guy seemed really pleased to meet me. Don't let your prayers resemble a dead fish to God. A while back, I was invited to attend a morning Bible study with a coworker. Now, this guy could pull quotes from the Bible on command for almost any situation. And I accepted his invitation, and he told me that the group met in McDonald's on Tuesday mornings at 8.30 in the morning. And I asked him if they minded uh, that we met in McDonald's. And his response was, it's a public restaurant. He also believed, and I get this part of it, that if somebody heard us fellowshipping, that maybe they would want to join, or at the very least, that they would be blessed by what they might overhear during the Bible study. The group was four of us. We met in the parking lot, and we all got in line to get our own breakfast. And we all, before we ate, we sat together and we joined hands to say grace. My coworker said a very impressive sounding prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the food we're about to eat. It's going to bless our souls, etc., etc. And then we dug in. And my coworker took one bite of his food and he immediately dropped it in his plate as if it had bugs crawling all over it. And he made this face like he just drank pickle juice. He's like, oh, this is cold. And to be funny, I just blurted out, 
Didn't we just thank God for this food and now we're complaining about it? And to my surprise, no one found it funny. My coworker actually got really angry with me. And that was the only time that I ever attended that Bible study. Because driving home, I was actually giggling like I am now. The more I thought about it, the more I believed I was absolutely right. Seriously, how important was his prayer to God if he couldn't even make it one minute without contradicting it? Your prayer should never become spectacles. Praying with authority does not mean praying loudly with arrogance. It means praying with faith and confidence that you have a God that hears you. And for those people right now that may be going through a tough time, I'm sure you probably just raised an eyebrow, and it feels like sometimes that he doesn't hear you. Um, You pray and you pray for something only to have the opposite thing happen, and you think to yourself, how can God let me down? He knows how bad I needed this. And because it didn't work out the way that we wanted it to work out, that we feel sometimes that he doesn't listen or care, or that he doesn't hear you, but I assure you with all my faith that this is not the case. Beside the Our Father and maybe the Hail Mary, the most commonly recited prayer is the serenity prayer. God grant me the strength to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. There is so much truth in these words. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I have heard many people utter that prayer in my lifetime, but very few people ever put it into practice. You hear the phrase all the time, God helps those who help themselves. And I think that that is very, very misleading. God helps those who can't help themselves. You can't just sit back and expect that God's going to do all the hard work for you. You have to move towards him. There is a corny joke that's been around a while, and it goes like this. There is a man trapped in his house during a flood, and the water has come up to his stairs. And a canoe paddles up, and a guy says, Climb on in, and I'll take you to safety. And the man says in response, No, no, no. God is going to save me. And about an hour later, the water's up to the man's front door, and a boat comes up the street, and a guy yells to the man, Climb in, and I'll take you to safety. But again, the man says, No, no, no. God is going to save me. And another hour goes by, and the man is sitting on his roof because the water has risen that high. And a helicopter flies by, and a guy guy yells, Climb up the rope, and I'll take you to safety. And once again, our man says, No, no, no. God's going to save me. And the man drowns. And when he gets to heaven, he's angry. And he says to Jesus, What happened? I followed you as best as I could. I did right by whoever I met. I went to church. And most importantly, I had faith that you were going to save me. I don't understand. And Jesus replied, I sent you a canoe, a boat, and a helicopter. What were you waiting for? And this is what happens when we offer our prayers up to God, but then we don't let them go. We look for assurance that our prayers are going to be answered, and we think we know what the only solution is. We just need God to deliver, and everything will be okay. God says in the book of Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. When you say a prayer, pray, and then cast it away. 
I've seen a prayer service on a retreat where youth are asked to write their prayers down on like a little piece of paper, and then they would get in a line and they would burn it in a small fire. And what used to blow me away was the kids would always throw their little paper on the fire, and then they would linger a little bit, and they would watch their paper turn black and then disappear into ash. It's a good visualization for our prayers. Let them disappear and have faith that God's got a hold of them. The Lord always hears our prayers. And when our prayers go unanswered, it's not because he doesn't hear them. Sometimes the answer is just no. Come on, we've all been there where we prayed for something, it didn't get answered, and then down the road we look back and we go, oh my God, if our prayer was answered the way we wanted it to, we would have been led into certain ruin. Praying faithfully means you say your prayer and then you let it go and you trust that God has it under control. And if the prayer isn't answered, it's because God knows what's better for us than we do. When you pray and you don't let it go, you are now praying fearfully and not faithfully. One of the best ways that you can get closer to God is when you immerse yourself in his creation. Time with my son is so precious. When he was about nine years old, I thought it'd be a great idea to rent a cabin in the woods for a weekend, spend some time in the great outdoors. And for about 125 bucks, I was able to score this old like Boy Scout cabin in the middle of the woods in central New Jersey. So on the Friday, I went up early because he had a Little League game. Uh, so I figured I would put all of our gear up there. And then after his game, we could head on up and then we would sleep at night uh, outside with like a little fire and all of that. And then we'd have all day Saturday to fish and hike or do the things that we wanted to do. But when I got there on Friday afternoon, that's when I found out that our cabin was actually a mountaintop cabin. It was like straight uphill, 150 yards full of rocks and tree roots and dried leaves. It took me three trips lugging this gear straight uphill. It was awful. But once inside, like, the cabin was really cool. Like, it had a little wood-burning stove, and it had a fireplace, and it had all these little bunks. It even had electricity in the form of, like, a little tiny dim light in the center, and it had one electric outlet that was all the way in the far corner, like, nowhere's near the bunks. So when I was on my way home from storing the gear, it actually started raining really hard and thundering and lightning. So we ended up just staying home and then going up early on Saturday morning. I didn't see that there would be any good outcome trying to climb that mountain at night in the rain. Uh, so we arrived about 8.30 on Saturday morning, and our day was filled with fishing and cooking on the wood-burning stove. Uh, it was just a great father-son quality time. And we fished until the, into the evening when it was almost dark. And when the sun went down, that's when my son's anxiety went up. Um, and we had a drink and a snack and we climbed into the bunk and he asked me an especially important question. Dad, do you feel safe up here? Unlike other campgrounds, there were no traditional campsites, just cabins dotting the Ramapo Ridge line, and they were all spaced really far away from each other. So like unlike regular camping trips, like there were no sounds of other human activity. There were no campfires or distant chatter, nothing. It was just quiet and dark. No, I did not feel safe. I took my camp knife and I put it under my pillow when my son wasn't looking. It was like one of those big Rambo knives uh, you know, that had the saw on one side and that you could unscrew the handle and you could stick matches and fishing line and old car parts, clothes that don't fit anymore. You could just jam anything you wanted in there. 
Uh, it was like Batman's utility belt. And in a way, it felt like we were the only two people left on Earth all alone on the mountaintop in the dark woods. And let me tell you, it's times like this when you feel really alone. You know, I had to make my son believe that I was confident and in charge of the situation. I wanted him to draw on my strength. But deep down, I was as scared as he was. So I looked at him and I said, yes, little buddy, it's quite safe up here. You know, it's amazing what can happen once fear starts to creep in. People think bravery is the opposite of fear, but actually the opposite of fear is faith. And once your prayers are coming to a place of fear and no longer a place of faith, you start to pray for all kinds of silly things. Lord, please don't let a bear burst down my door. Don't let an axe murderer come climbing in here uh, when we're trying to sleep. I hope Bigfoot isn't real. All kinds of ludicrous things. I can remember praying very vividly for my son's cell phone charge to hold out until he fell asleep because I could tell how frightened he was. And he's my boy. I, I felt like I led him into something terrifying. And I didn't like it. And then, right on cue, my son says out loud, Hey, Dad, my phone's at 10%. And my heart just sank. And as I laid in the dead silence praying, God, please, I heard clear as day what sounded exactly like a young child outside my window saying the words, Who cooks for you? You know, given the situation, this should have been chilling. And again, I heard it. Who cooks for you? As a child, my mother often took me to the Connecticut Audubon Society. They had a great area there where they rehabbed injured birds of prey. There aren't many things that stick in my brain from my youth, but one of them was a plaque that I had read there stating that the barred owl's call sounds like a child saying, Who cooks for you? I leaped up in my bunk with excitement, and my son did the same, and we started parroting the owl as I explained to him what it was. And we ended up sitting there like two idiots going, who cooks for you? Who cooks for you? Who cooks for you? And this went on for about a half hour or so until finally I heard the soft snoring of my son and he had fallen asleep. And it was in that moment that I knew God was telling me, I got this. Let faith drive the narrative in your prayer life. Faith is the hope of things unseen. So pray for the things unseen. Do not get caught up in praying for the physical things, but in things that make up faith. You can pray all day long for a million dollars. You're never going to open up the door and find a million dollars. You pray for strength, pray for wisdom, courage, peace, understanding, forgiveness, for these are the things that God brings. Before we check out of here today, I just want to say this. No prayer is too small or insignificant to God. I've seen people's prayers get judged as if saying, really, that's what you're praying for? Faith is an individual thing, and what seems like it should be easy for you doesn't mean it's easy for someone else. All prayers matter, and all prayers are important. Let's recap what we discussed. First, we discussed that there's no one specific way to pray. It's just important that you do. Whether you're on your knees at your bedside with a block of time or you're conversing with him in your car on your way to work, he listens to us just the same. We talked about the use of repetitious prayer, things like the rosary and the Our Father and the serenity prayer, that they're okay if they're getting you in a mindset for praying or helping you meditate on the Lord, but we shouldn't just be tossing up prayers idly. 
We also went over not making a spectacle out of praying. We should be praying with authority, but not arrogance and showmanship. We also said pray with faith and not fear. Faithful things will lead us to pray for those things that are intangible in our lives. And with that, I'm going to ask everyone to please pray for one another. The greatest of all intangible things is love. Pray that we can learn to understand one another better. Pray that we can help each other better. And pray that God will have mercy on us all. All right, next week, everyone's going to want to tune in as we continue this series and get to the very core of human conservation. What we're going to be talking about next week is grace. You're not going to want to miss it. As always, thanks for stopping by to give me a listen. If you like what you heard and you want to help out, give the podcast a like. This will help others to find it and help get the word out. And if you want more information about me or the services that I provide, you could find that over at corby.com, spelled C-O-R-B-I-E-Y.com. If you want to join the conversation and you have a question or a suggestion on a possible subject you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, that could be left at hcpodcast at corby.com. And that'll do it. I hope everyone has a happy and safe week this week. Remember to be kind to one another, to listen to one another, because human conservation can only come about through human conversation.